I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, garden design, pest control, container ideas, growing your own fruit and vegetables. Plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the team of horticultural advisors based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this July edition, we visit the RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show, which runs until the 13th of July, and share with you some of the highlights of this year's creative, informative and surprising displays. And, as always, the latest news on RHS summer events across the UK. But first, as regular listeners will know, once a month on the RHS Gardening Podcast, members of our advisory team answer your gardening questions from around the UK. So let's join my colleagues in the advice office to hear some of the queries that have been sent in this month. My name's Rob Sterling and I'm one of the horticultural advisors here at Wisley. I'm Guy Barter. I'm, I'm on the advice team here at Wisley. My name's Tony Dickerson. I'm also a horticultural advisor here with the team at RHS Wisley. Right, we, ha- we have a, an inquiry here from uh, a Mr Gedling of, from Hampshire. I have lots of tomato plants growing in pots. No flowers or tomatoes yet. What should I do next? I've heard something about pinching the tops off. What do you do, please? This is my first go at growing veg and I'm confused. Uh, well, Guy, tomato is certainly a popular uh, crop with our members. Yeah, they certainly are. And they are pretty easy to grow, a very tolerant plant. And I think in the fullness of time, assuming the plant has got enough light, um, it'll get to be a suitable size and it'll start producing flowers. Uh, they do need full light and often people try to grow them on window sills or in shady parts of the garden and that can slow them down having said that they often get there in the end so don't despair i would avoid um pinching anything off at this stage because it'll need all those leaves to grow new roots um but if it's a if it's a kind of tomato that is trained up a stick as i suspect this is then the side shoots will grow and leave them a little bit just in case there's an accident and you break the top off and then pinch them out starting at the bottom. Best not to pinch the top off until some fruits have set because then you might not get anything because it's the growing tip that produces a succession of flowers. So I wouldn't be too concerned at this early stage. Um, with any luck, it'll grow on flower and you'll be able to take a crop in September at the very latest. And of course, one thing not to forget, tomatoes need plenty of feeding and they need plenty of watering. So a tomato feed, perhaps about once a week, will be ideal. Don't overdo it. 
but of course this pinching out this can be very confusing because there are aren't there rob different types of tomatoes yes that's right there's um there's a they're called determinate and indeterminate um indeterminate tomatoes um tend to be the vine type tomatoes which uh will continue growing um and they're the ones which uh guy referred to as being trained up a cane um and the determinate tomatoes um are the bushy type um and they actually produce flowers all at once and their fruit um is produced all at once as well so um so that they are a completely different uh, growing pattern to the indeterminate uh, tomatoes when you pinch out the um growing tips of an indeterminate tomato basically you're you know stopping it from growing and it will have to uh, Uh, produce a side shoot to continue that upward um, growing process and that will actually slow down the you know the process of the plant uh, flowering the stem should be pinched out after the plant has produced six trusses of uh, fruit um, to stop it growing and any side shoots um, that that occur on on the um, the vine type of tomato should also be pinched out because otherwise uh, um, energy will be diverted to those shoots growing rather than um, producing fruit. The bushy types of tomatoes, the determinate tomatoes, don't need to be pinched out at all. Um, they, they naturally are bushy and, as I say, they, they produce their flowers all in one go, um, after which they fruit and, and then the, um, the, the plant itself is, is finished. And I guess if you're a little bit late with your tomatoes, you might find just allowing four trusses or four bunches to actually set on the tomato uh, might be the better option. If you're too enthusiastic and try and allow too many to set, you'll find they simply won't ripen before the end of autumn. Um, This thing about the side shoots, quite difficult, but if in doubt, just wait. And if a flower is produced on the actual side shoot, it's likely to be a, a bush type. But if it just seems to be a straightforward shoot, pinch that out these side shoots are quite uh, soft and you can literally break them or snap them we, we use the term pinching out uh, but they should break away very easily especially if you catch them early enough um, this uh, difference between bush and sometimes what are called cordon or indeterminate types often it'll tell you on the seed packet it may tell you on the plant label otherwise you might have to do a search on the internet the uh, the next question is from nessa tierney and she asks, are there any vegetables we can plant in June or July? Guy, what uh, suggestions do you have? Well, there are, in fact, quite a lot of vegetables you can plant in June and July, and in, even so in June and July. The further north you are, the more limited your options. But even in northern districts, uh, greens like turnips and calabrese um, are well worth sowing and um, even planting at this stage if you can find plants. Chinese greens, Asiatic greens, are well worth sowing and planting at this stage, and so are salads, and that's true in the north as well as the south. And when you get further south, um, there's other options for seeds as well. You can sow French beans and runner beans, which will crop for September, and courgettes are very quick-growing as well, both sown and as plants. It's too late to sow some slow-growing things like Brussels sprouts and leeks, but it's not too late to buy plants or acquire plants somehow and plant them up for a, a winter crop. So there's everything to go for. If you can, um, even in the south, try and get everything planted and sown by the middle of July. It's true 
true that you can go on until the first week in August in favourable districts, but it's um, it, it, it's rather risky. And in the north, try and get everything done by the end of June. And I guess also if you've sown earlier in the year things like fennel, which have just run up and uh, produced flowers instead of actually bulbing up, what, what we call bolting, then there's still probably time, especially in June now, to get uh, some of those re-sown and uh, hopefully to get to a decent crop before the end of the summer. A question here from Bob Rittle of, Lin- of Lincoln. Um, Mr Ripple has a slightly sloping lawn and he's turfed it recently and it's doing great in the sunnier, higher sides, but down in the lower part of the slope where it's a little bit shadier, it's not doing so well. And at the bottom, it's a really rather a wet area and uh, the turf is not thriving in the least. So uh, Mr Ripple wants some solutions for this conundrum. Tony? Mm. One of the important things with lawns and turf in general is that you have to realise that they're plants that want full sun. So it might be the case that if it's just too shaded, then uh, ordinary lawn may not be the best option. If it's partly shaded, leaving the grass slightly longer will help because that way you don't uh, have the grass struggling to make growth when there's not sufficient light for it. But if it is simply too shady, um, then it may be a case of looking perhaps to... uh, take up the lawn and look for an alternative use. There's plenty of uh, good garden perennials that are like a damper soil, indeed, with a bit of shade, and that may be an option there. The other situation with shade is that you can get specific shade mixes for both turf and seed if you're sowing, and again, it might be an option there. But I suppose the the other thing here is the the damp. Uh, Rob, what, what could be done about the wetness there? Well, if the um, if the lawn itself is essential to keep, then um, it need to be um, drained really at the, bo- the base of that uh, of that lawn in order to improve drainage, either um, with land drains or even just to soak away um, underneath the lawn to help um, to help reduce the uh, the water standing there. But I think it probably would be best um, to and probably less expensive too to actually go with the the lay of the land and um, to make use of that damp spot there's plenty of decent plants uh, interesting plants which will grow in that environment and it could uh, add quite a lot of extra interest uh, to that particular garden Um, plants like um, Matiuca struthiopteris which is one of the um, ferns commonly called the ostrich feather fern or the shuttlecock fern because of the uh, shape of its uh, foliage <clears throat> will grow very well in a shady damp site. Um, Primula florinde, which is the giant Himalayan uh, cowslip, um, looking very much like a cowslip but much taller, um, also has fragrant flowers, which again will do very well in, in a shady site. Um, and Philippendula ulmaria aurea, which um, is the meadow sweet, which has white foamy flowers and golden uh, foliage in this particular cultivar and and the the flowers themselves are very sweet and and fragrant again all of those would do very well in a damp and a shady site so there's a lot of extra plants that you can choose from and i think that would probably be the cheaper option in the long run right we, um, we have here a letter from christy van der meer from ashby de la Zeus, um about one of my favorite plants um but it's a jasmine that never flowers. It grows and the leaves look fine, but there's no lovely smelling flowers. Guy, what's the problem here? Um, it all depends what kind of jasmine. I'm assuming it's a, a sunny 
summer flowering jasmine and uh, they usually grow and flower on new shoots without the slightest problem so it could be just patience is wanted but it looks like this has been going on for some years so one wonders in fact um, if there has been some uh, shade situation where there's not quite enough light for this plant to give of its best or indeed whether some pruning has been done at the wrong moment and cut off the young shoots that are going to flower and then uh, they haven't actually developed enough by the end of the summer so i'd be inclined here to first of all um check out the shade situation and remove any shade if at all possible and then to lay off pruning until it starts flowering and with any luck um, that should happen in a year or two if it doesn't then i think you might want to take cuttings which are ever so easy from jasmine uh, do that in summer and uh, start again in a different spot and I, I guess you know, climbers are great for covering walls or trellis or whatever, but, but it is important to realise climbers climb up to the light. And if they're in a situation where they're at all shaded, the great majority are not that uh, happy in that situation. Uh, jasmines in particular, yes, normally a good level of light. But, but Rob, are there any other climbers though, that might tolerate a bit of shade? Yes, um, Akebia quinata um, is one which um, is an evergreen um, plant uh, which has a sort of f- f- five lobes to the leaves um, so and and burgundy flowers three petaled flowers um, they it has a, 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 a scent um, the flowers uh, uh, appear in the summer and um, um, has a spicy scent in the evening um, if you have two uh, uh, plants uh, which aren't related um, two separate uh, plants of akebia growing next to each other you you sometimes get some extraordinary long sausage shaped fruits um which um apparently are edible um although they don't look particularly appetizing i must say um but it often doesn't appear with um with one um plant you do need a pollinator in order to get them so akebia quinata is the name of that one um holbelia latifolia is another um, climber that does reasonably well in the shade um, has very sweetly scented clusters of white flowers in the in the spring, um, early summer, um, and it, it, the advantage of that as well is that it's also evergreen. And I guess uh, quite a few of the climbing roses will at least produce some flowers, and uh, they're, they're worth considering. If all else fails, it may be a case of resorting to the much maligned ivy. Common ivy, Heterohelix, is a, a great for those really difficult shady spots. But there's also the large-leafed ivy, Heterocultrica, which again is great for covering difficult situations. Uh, the next question is from Martha Buckley Flynn, and um, she has a clematis which apparently did not flower this year. Apparently grew loads, uh, twined all around the trellis, um, but uh, there were no flowers at all. And uh, she's wondering why um, you know, that could possibly be. Tony, what, uh, what would you think? Right, well, I, I presume that this is a, an established uh, clematis. And um, uh, obviously, if it's flowered in the past, you'd normally expect it to continue flowering. Um, we did have an extremely wet summer last year and... Uh, um, very mild winter and lots of uh, plants including climbers have produced an awful lot of growth why it's not flowering that's a bit of a mystery uh, perhaps overfeeding with too much nitrogen or whatever um, whether it's a, a, again a situation where perhaps the shading has increased the trees or surrounding plants which are crowding it out so that the the light is much reduced um, 
The ideal thing with climbers is actually rather than letting them climb directly up is if you can train them in fan wise or twine them around a support that will always tend to encourage flowering but to say general uh, climbers certainly need a good deal of light so again whether it's a case that this is a plant just getting too shaded. Um, yes, and, and pruning might um, have an effect on that too. Um, we're not quite sure what the clematis variety is, but um, if it was an early spring flowering clematis such as Macropetala or clematis alpina, um, these flower on, on one-year-old stems, and um, so consequently they make the growth uh, during one year, and then the following year they produce the flowers on as side shoots on those stems. Um, if uh, pruning was, was done at the end of the year, for example, in autumn to tidy it up, or, or even late winter, as is required with some of the late summer flowering uh, clematis, then that would have pruned off a lot of the flowering growth. And so consequently, um, you know, that may be a reason why it hasn't flowered. Um, the, the group two clematis, which are the large flowered um, hybrids, um, tend to, to only require light pruning as well. Um, so if, the, if that was pruned back quite hard, um, instead of it actually pruning off um, the, the, um, the flowering wood, as in the case of the previous two I mentioned, with the group two clematis, um, which normally flower around May, if you hard prune those in February, it, it um, instead just delays the flowering and they, they tend to flower um, for the first time later in the year, around about July um, August time. Yeah, I would say that um, plants have a natural tendency to flower. They want to live, given half a chance. And um, this is particularly true of clematis. Um, in time, when they settle down, um, they usually flower because they want to live. So if there's any doubt about the pruning regime and you've ruled out the shade and other sort of things like that, just leave them be and uh, they should flower in a year or two. And after that, you can look at the flowers the timing what the flowers look like identify what clematis clematis it is at that time and then apply the appropriate uh, pruning regime and that should get it back into kilter and you should have flowers um, for the indefinite future remember rhs members can contact our advice team by phone email or letter for free help with any gardening queries if you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS, just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. I'm Jenny Bowden and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. This week, Hampton Court Palace sees the arrival of thousands of visitors with horticulture rather than history on their minds. Hands-on gardening inspiration is at the heart of the RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show. It's a mix of fabulous show gardens with opportunities to see plants, in-depth scientific exhibits and country crafts, fine dining with dazzling floral displays, all things grow your own, live music, family activities and great shopping too. A unique day out for all in a truly majestic setting. There are dozens of attractions in each of the three zones, grow, inspire and escape. Each zone has its own distinctive theme and flavour. We went down to the show to bring you some of the displays which grabbed our attention this year. In the Grow Zone, keen gardeners can explore a range of nursery displays and plant stalls, with RHS advisors on hand to offer expert tips to take back to their own gardens. There's also a hands-on area where expert growers present potting bench demonstrations to key horticultural techniques. 
Hi there, I'm Marcel Floyd from Floyd Slimers and Clematis. Well, I'm displaying uh, a wide variety of clematis and climbers on our stand, and I'm also going to be doing some talks on the potting benches. Potting bench talks are a slot of about 20 minutes to half an hour, in which you get to meet the growers who basically will go through a range of topics to do with their specialist subject. The great thing is uh, we have like an open forum all the time, so we fire questions out into the audience, and the audience fires back questions at ourselves. And there's a lot of interaction going on and the audience get to know how to grow plants successfully. This year I'm going to be talking about how to grow clematis from cuttings right up to the finished plant, how to feed them, how to look after them, how to prune them back each spring, everything you really know how to grow clematis successfully. Like cuttings, what you need to do in a garden situation is go out about the end of May, early June time, and look for some semi-ripe wood on any of your montanas, your viticellas, any of the big flowering hybrids. Do an internodal cutting, which is a cut between two leaf joints of about two inches long, so roughly about eight centimeters. So semi-ripe is, so the cutting is still quite soft, but it hasn't gone too hard, you know, so it's in between, so to speak. So there's a bit of firmness. Well, what is, when, when the stem is um, a mid-green rather than dark brown, so it's firm to touch, it's not soft and bendy, because if it's soft and bendy, the cutting becomes too soft, almost becomes a tip cutting rather than into nodal cutting. Once you've got your cutting, get yourself a tomato pot. When I say a tomato pot, I mean, a, basically, when you go to your garden centre or your local nursery and you buy your tomato plant, they come in a tomato-sized pot, which is roughly three to three and a half inches across. The reason I say a tomato pot is because that's the size people used to always buy their tomato plants in. 50% coir, 50% perlite, fantastic mixture. Once you get your cuttings, seven or eight of them round the edge of your pot, plastic bag, put it in. Semi-shady position, either in a cold greenhouse, or even, even on the shelf, in your, in your house, windowsill. But the main thing you must do, or mustn't do, is don't pull the cutting out every two or three weeks, otherwise it's got to start again. So, normally, six to eight weeks and the clematis cutting will have rooted. In the escape zone, visitors will have a chance to relax and escape into the countryside with a new nature feature, to explore the growing taste marquee which contains fine foods and fresh produce, as well as the inspiring and entertaining cookery theatre. Ocean Spray have created a surprising and eye-catching garden display, recreating a part of New England, USA, in the gardens and waterways of Hampton Court Palace. I'm Charlotte Morrill and I'm a garden designer and I designed the garden for the Ocean Spray, um, uh, the feature garden at Hampton Court. The idea behind the garden is to demonstrate how cranberries are harvested, um, ma mainly. Um, yeah, the, the, the cranberry vines are all grown in a dense mat and then they're flooded every autumn and um, um, and the cranberries, uh, they use a mechanised method now where they um, gently beat the cranberries off the vines and they flood up and that's where you get these great lakes of red berries. So we've tried to pick up on that in the garden and we've got a couple of horse features with the cranberries floating in there um, just to sort of show the public really how, how this happens. I think most people don't really understand how cranberries are harvested. I certainly didn't before doing this. Um, so we've picked up on that. Um, and then we, the planting, we've got some woodland edge planting and some wetland planting that would, um, we, we tried to source some plants that would grow in Massachusetts, but it's really to evoke that feeling and the, the look of that landscape. Um, yeah. 
And so, so, so what plants have you used around the edges of the um, water? We've got some sweeps of Pontederia cordata, um, which they call pickerel weed in, in Massachusetts, and it actually grows along the, um, the waterways coming into the, into the um, wetlands, um, and they actually they, they cut it back once a year because it, it um, restricts the water flowing through when they flood the bogs, but it's a very common plant out there and it grows in that area, so we try to include that. It's got a blue flower um, on, on, a, on a tour, is it? Yeah, it's a, there, well, there are different varieties or different ones. We've used the shorter, which is the Pontideria cordata, and then we've got Pontideria cordata lancelotta, which is a taller version. So we've combined the two to create this sweep of blue. Um, and it's a very pretty plant, um, aquatic. Most of the plants here, are, um, especially in the wetland sweeps, are obviously for damp, well, they're aquatic, so they'd be under sort of 40 mil, 50 mil of water. Um, but some of the, the woodland planting, I've tried to choose things that would all suit the slightly acidic soil of the um, cranberry growing areas of Massachusetts, but also very damp um, and shade tolerant. So we've got a mixture of different things. We've got act- Actea. Is this pretty sort of purpley foliage? We've got some uh, meadow sweet, so Philippendula, um, which is also really pretty, so sort of foamy um, cream and pink flowers. Um, and we've used some of um, some grasses. We've got uh, Deschampsia sesquitosa, um, which is a very pretty one. The, yeah, the planting here hopefully would um, would be um, inspirational for people with gardens, which are, which are, tend to be quite damp and in shade. So hopefully they can get some ideas for for planting that would suit that sort of environment. At the centre of the escape area is a stunning exhibition garden designed by John Wheatley, which celebrates 50 golden years of Britain in bloom, with special displays highlighting the environment, horticulture and community, and including a display of a new dahlia launched especially for the show. I'm Jim Garden, I'm the Executive Vice President for the RHS, and it's a huge pleasure for me to be here at Hampton Court Palace Flower Show. This is a Britain in Bloom uh, 50th anniversary exhibit at Hampton Court Palace and it actually brings together, if you think about uh, communities in towns or villages or in cities, what are those communities doing? They're, they're growing bedding plants, they're growing vegetables, they're growing ornamentals for display and this garden absolutely captures that to a T. You've got the greenhouse in front of us with begonias and, and, and also geraniums and tomatoes. And so you could just see that on somebody's allotment. And then you can see this fantastic display of veg, absolutely perfection. And you can, you can just see these people again on their allotments striving for, for perfection. But it, not only is it that, it's all about bedding. And if you go to towns and cities and villages up and down the land, it's all about great British bedding. And it doesn't matter if it's terribly vulgar or if it's rather subtle. It's bedding and it captures people's imagination. And then here we've got marvellous collections of sunflowers and, and also in cities as well. And here we see these sunflowers, huge sunflowers, 10, 12 feet high, in amongst a giraffe. And of course, it's the the cultivar called giraffe. And so what John Wheatley has done so brilliantly is bring all of these communities together and display this fantastic array of plants for people to absolutely come and enjoy. 
You can find out more about Britain in Bloom and how you and your community can get involved at rhs.org.uk forward slash Britain in Bloom. In the adjacent marquee, the RHS's entomology team have focused their display on the side of the garden fewer people are aware of. Hello, my name's Anna. I'm an entomologist at RHS Wisley. So the Invisible Garden first came about when we were thinking in the RHS Science Department about how people disconnected from nature. They think that nature is something they have to see on their television or have to travel a long way to see, when actually there's a lot of things in their garden which are just as amazing, such as um, ladybird larvae um, predating on aphids, beautiful structures of plants that serve um, lots of different purposes and um, people can really get to see those things close up under um, the microscopes. So here at the Invisible Garden we've got lots of microscopes set out that people can take a look at themselves and um, we've got lots of common garden things that they might, might see in their own garden um, but they can have a look at them close up. We've also got um, various other activities. We've got a bumblearium, a glass tank um, full of bumblebees, um, so people can um, come along and watch them going about, the, about their business. A wormery and a butterfly house. We've also got a photo booth um, where people can come and be face bugged, so they can um, dress up um, in lots of different bug costumes um, and upload them to social media. We want gardeners to take a second look take a closer look at what they've got in their own garden um, the tiny little characters that often get overlooked um, but that do so much to help us and to maybe give them some ideas as to how they can help them. So probably the main way that gardeners can help um, insects and other beneficial creatures is to try to be a little less tidy in the garden. Don't tidy away if you've got a nice pile of rocks they, they can be a great um, great home for amphibians or reptiles hibernating. Um, dead leaves can be used um, by mammals such as hedgehogs. Um, but also all these places can be great um, for insects such as beetles, which are then, um, as well as being beneficial on their own, food for um, these other popular garden wildlife. The Inspire Zone will encourage visitors to rethink contemporary garden design with horticultural creations pushing boundaries and championing innovation. This year's features include conceptual gardens designed around the theme of the seven deadly sins and an intriguing turf sculpture competition. My name is Tony Smith, I'm a garden designer and artist and I've created these turf sculptures. The original concept was to, to do some freestyle turfing, I call it, a little bit like standing at the top of a mountain on a snowboard and just going down and doing your own thing with no rules. Um, usually at flower shows it's very prescribed, you have to fill in lots of forms, you have to tell the judges what you're going to try and do and if you don't conform to those rules you don't get a good medal. With this there's no medals, just the idea that you have a pile of turf and a pile of soil and you come along spend two days creating whatever you want to create so I invited five people to come along people with some horticultural um, or artistic background and to spend two days making the sculptures and then I've been maintaining them ever since for the last eight days in the heat and the wind which has been a bit of a challenge but um, so it's actually quite interesting because what you've actually got here is is pure creativity everybody started with the same size plot the same materials, soil and turf, and the, the difference between each plot is purely the imagination of the person making it, and we've got five completely different exhibits out of it. 
we have John Humphreys and Andy Hyde. John Humphreys is a fine art sculptor, and Andy Hyde is a, a garden designer. And they've created a snake, a 3D snake, with cutouts along its flanks for the diamond-shaped pattern, where they've taken the turf off and turned it upside down to give the relief. Then there's Matthew Biggs, who is a gardening celebrity, um, and uh, Gardener's Question Time panellist, etc., etc., um, who's created a very sinuous, curvy, swervy metaphor for life I think is the best way to describe it then we have Sim Flemons who's a, a fellow garden designer who's done lots of shows we've been neighbours quite a few times at flower shows and he's created a very blocky um, positive and negative effect with holes and also raised areas in, in squares which catches the light fantastically it's really good with, with the low, low light levels and low light in the morning and the evening and then Adam Frost, who needs no introduction to a very well-known garden designer, many gold medals at Chelsea, um, has used a golf course building technique to create an abstract with layers and layers of turf on top of each other so that you get on the edge, you get stripes of soil, turf, soil, turf. Um, and it's actually, tell me, it's the way that they build very steep bunkers on golf courses by piling up turf and because the roots all knit together, it makes a solid wall. Whereas if you just piled soil up, it would wash away when the first time it rained and the wild card of the bunch is the um, ground crew from Tottenham Hotspur Football Club who um, by some strange I don't know what you'd call it some strange route have ended up here um, making uh, a very well I was going to say peculiar but that would sound rude I don't mean it that way I mean it to be I mean it to be um, complimentary and it's very enigmatic no one's quite sure what it is they've actually created we were expecting something literal perhaps about football and they've done the opposite they've created something that no one can quite get their head around and the very best thing of all is that all five exhibits are completely different so that was my main concern to start with was that they would be too similar but it couldn't be further from the truth uh, my name is Matthew Biggs, uh, and I've created one of the turf sculpt sculptures. Well, the idea of the competition, it was one of uh, Tony's great ideas, and he's been pushing at, uh, at it for ages. And the idea was that he would create a large turf sculpture in the middle of the uh, grassland area. Now, he's, a, he's an expert. He's done this many times, and he's well-known at RHS shows uh, for these kind of creations. He does a lot of work in turf. And then he had this idea to uh, bring together several of his friends from different disciplines and to give them a pile of soil, uh, a rake, so turf, and we had a shovel and one or two odd things like that, and just see what they could do, see what their imagination allowed, the, allowed them to create in a space five metres by five metres. And there was two days to do it. So I created something that I called Curve and Swerve because I was thinking about this. In fact, I was rather perplexed initially. Uh, and you realise that the curve and the swerve are the same basic shape but reflect two different phases, particularly in life. So the uh, uh, one end of the uh, turf sculpture there is a lovely rounded part. It's all curvaceous and comfortable. Uh, and life is good when uh, things are curvaceous and comfortable and enjoyable. But then inevitably things will decline. So there's a, a spine that curves round to a swerve which goes between uh, a hole which uh, reflects the pitfalls uh, and a, a small mound which is the obstacles that you uh, actually meet in life so suddenly this comfortable curve will have declined things will have changed but you are still this time swerving to get between them but the message overall is that if you stand at the plump comfortable end and you look down to the curve end one is that you should remember to enjoy and be thankful for the good times in your life make the most of them for, for they will change uh, but and uh, you 
you know, you have to bear in mind that you should be cautious. But if you're going through a difficult patch and having to swerve and, you know, duck and dive and things are difficult and you look, again, look beyond, you know that eventually life will change and you will come out of that uh, and you will go into, you know, fat plump time and things will be well. So the, the idea of the, in, the um, inspirational area is just to get people to think, I think, more about the gardens. If you actually look at the, the themes of the conceptual gardens, which are the seven deadly sins, uh, the winning gardens have been selected from each of those seven. The seven gardens reflect an individual's idea of what each sin could be if it was interpreted as a garden. So you've got lust and, and greed and pride uh, and anger, uh, and they're all really well uh, demonstrated. You can see exactly when you look at them, you know what the story is trying to tell. Though I think um, with the with the lust garden, uh, I did look at it and think it, it you know it's, it's rather cheeky. There's one or two two plants in there that are suggestive, but I also think that you know a little bit of more imagination could have made that really saucy. Uh, gardens can take away from the turf sculptures the idea that turf doesn't have to be horizontal, doesn't have to be flat and rectangular as so many people uh, use it in their garden. With a little bit of imagination, bearing in mind also the fact that it has to be maintained, uh, then they can bring uh, a different concept to the garden, a different idea of the landscape. We, 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 I was chatting earlier on with a friend and we were saying, you know, one of the things you could do quite feasibly is to make almost like a, a wedge-shaped piece of turf almost like a piece of cheese if you had a south facing part of the garden you could make it as wide as a double bed um, and that could be your sunbathing area so you could just recline in the sunshine you know gaining the extra uh, heat from it and uh, it, it would just be a, a lovely thing to do and of course you could mow it you could mow straight up the cheese and you could uh, trim the sides but I think you have to bear in mind you know let your imagination go but you've got to maintain it and that's the key thing it's got to be uh, maintained in a, in, a, in a good fashion so it keeps the shape neat and tidy otherwise you lose the impact of the design but it's something that can be done and is quite feasible and people ought to do it. The RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show runs until the 13th of July. You can check ticket availability and find more information and images from the show on our website, rhs.org.uk forward slash Hampton Court. On the website, you can also find details of other garden events and activities happening in our four RHS gardens. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens and click on what's on. Coming up soon, create your own family adventure this summer at all four RHS gardens with our Great Garden Quest, sponsored by Whitten Investment Trust. From the 24th of July to the 31st of August, take our quest, befriend the dragon and learn lots of exciting new skills along the way. Summer wouldn't be complete without a visit to the Hyde Hall Flower Show, which takes place from the 31st of July to the 3rd of August, and also the Wisley Flower Show, which takes place from the 2nd to the 7th of September. With stunning displays, excellent shopping and expert advice, it's a great day out for all. Join in the fun at the Great Garden Carnival at RHS Flower Show Tatton Park, from the 23rd to the 27th of July. This popular show is home to Innovative Gardens, the annual Flowerbed Competition, the RHS Young Designer of the Year, and a host of the prettiest and most vibrant summer flowers. All you need to know is at rhs.org.uk forward slash Tatton. And now you can also find out all you want to know about RHS Flower Show Tatton Park direct from your phone with the free RHS Flower Show Tatton Park smartphone app, including 
finding out what gardens, plant nurseries or trade stands are close by, wherever you are in the showground, full details on the gardens, plants and trade stands, whether you're at the show or not, buying tickets for any RHS show and lots more. Visit rhs.org.uk forward slash Tatten app. We're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with a special feature from the RHS Flower Show at Tatton Park. This will include a focus on allotment gardening and interviews with the winner of the RHS's Young Designer of the Year and their mentor, Paul Harvey Brooks. And if you haven't already, there's still time to buy your tickets for the show. rhs.org.uk forward slash Tatton. Until then, from me, Jenny Bowden, and all the podcast team, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step, and you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer, or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.